0: This This is
1: The Second
0: Second Story Podcast.
1: Welcome back to The Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. It's been just over a decade since I moved to Chicago. I had lived my entire life prior to that choice in the same state, the same city, and the same house. In the years since that move, the word home has developed two meanings for me the house in Maryland where I lived till I was 18, and the city of Chicago. I've been shaped by the people I've met and experiences I've had because I made the decision to leave my home and find a new one. In this week's story, teller Cherie L. Greer shares some of her own big milestone decisions, how they've echoed throughout her life, and the friend who helped show her the time to move. Recorded live in June 2023 at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago, Second Story is proud to present Time Traveling.
0: Mm-hmm. corny with that mm-hmm. Illuminati mess. Mm-hmm. Paparazzi, catch my fly. I'm feeling like it's 2005. <laughs> Wait. That's not exactly true. I'm feeling good like excited and inspired. and 2005 had a lot of that energy, but it also had a lot of not that energy. Let's start with what was shit about 2005 (laughs) so we can get to the good parts. First, I was closeted. Yeah, I know I look really, really gay now. But I wasn't always this cool and confident. In 2005, I wore skirts and dresses that my sisters or mother said were cute, and I held out hope that I would meet the right man one day, the one who would kiss me until I was dizzy and make love to me so good that I'd forget how beautiful black women with thick thighs, (laughs) dark eyes, and full lips took my breath away and made my forehead hot. In 2005, I kept all that a secret and tried my best to date the way I was supposed to date, tried my best to make myself feel things that, that I didn't and worked like hell to be normal. Speaking of working, I was also literally working like hell Just before I graduated college, I realized I wanted to be a writer. I had taken my first fiction workshop in my last semester, and it threw me and my pending business degree into a tailspin. (laughs) Uncertain what to do about it at the time, I took a job as a business analyst for an international IT company after graduation. I made great money and flexed a corporate Amex card. Yeah, I was balling. as an analyst i would go to these long ass meetings where in my smart skirt and button-up blouse i would walk clients through testing plans and system requirements and database arrays and programming scripts and production implementation charts and version 3.9 revision two, end user manuals and Gantt charts and feasibility studies and see, y'all bored as hell too. (laughs) The job was described as fast paced and exciting, but by 2005, all I knew at his job was long hours, muted tone cubicle walls, and endless meetings. So you're probably wondering, what the hell was there to like about 2005? Because so far, all I've talked about is suppressed desire, <laughs> selling my soul for a corporate Amex card, and frequent flyer miles. It gets worse before it gets better. In 2005 I also experienced a new kind of pain, a new kind of grief, a friend of mine died suddenly bonita Newton was a journalist she collapsed at work her colleagues called an ambulance but she died before she reached the hospital, she was 25. I met bonita in St pete Florida when the tech firm transferred me there in 2003. She invited me to a picnic and I can still see her when I walked up to the table. She had this short, hollyberry cut, dark skin, and a smile so bright it rivaled the Florida sunshine. She was tall. And when she stood, eyes kind and thoughtful, all that towering Octavia Butler, anything is possible energy seemed to stir up a breeze. Winds of change, I would call them in retrospect. We started a weekly writing group of two. She worked on her novel, and I worked on short stories. Once we met at a Spanish restaurant on St. Pete's north side, the decor, all in tra- intricate tile, rustic fabrics, and more inspired archways, was the best thing about the place. The food was bland, even after ordering more hot sauce to bring some flavor. We talked excitedly about each other's work, and when she handed my story back to me, she said, what are you doing at that job? You are a writer. Now, I stammered and fidgeted with the end of my long braids. My tight v-neck shirt was choking me all of a sudden. Uh, But Benita smiled, then nodded like it had been decided. You are a writer. She said it again meeting my eyes, you know what you got to do, she said it like it was nothing like quitting my it career to be a writer was nothing like changing my life was as simple as ordering more hot sauce. In the weeks that followed I toyed with the idea of writing on the side, while keeping my well paying job you've got the perfect job people were always saying. But as the workload got heavier and heavier, and my writing time got less and less, I knew what I had to do. I was scared as shit, and had no idea how or if it would work. What did it mean to be a writer as a career anyway? But I went for it, encouraged by Benita all the while. She helped me study for the GRE. She helped me apply to graduate school. She planned a trip for us to check out NYU. When we returned to Florida, she helped me apply to schools and write my letter of resignation. That summer, she took a job in Virginia, and I visited Columbia College, Chicago, and knew instantly that that's where I was supposed to be. In July 2005, I called her to tell her I didn't get into NYU. But it didn't matter, because I'd already made plans to move to Chicago for grad school in August. About a week later, she died. At this point of the story, it's difficult not to think, fuck 2005. (laughs) What kind of black joy story is this anyway? (laughs) But it ain't that simple because nothing ever is. 2005, for all its tragedy and uncertainty, was also a year of freedom. A year of imagination, a year of risking it all for happiness for joy. I remember laying in the middle of my floor in my South Shore apartment, all the windows open my books stacked neatly against the wall, the gentlest breeze coming off Lake Michigan and dancing through my curtainless windows. I knew Benita was there with me and I felt more possible and more capable and more powerful than I ever had before. I kept a couple pictures of Benita on my refrigerator and would often talk to her when I was in the kitchen, sitting at a small, pressed wood table, editing stories and drinking entirely too much. It would be a few years before I would really lean into my spiritual practice of honoring those who've passed on, but I knew there was power in keeping her photos close. I read her my drafts and complained to her about long-ass red line rides from the north side to south shore. I told her when I was uncertain when I felt homesick or lonely I didn't hear her voice but i'd imagined what she'd say right something like this is all part of the journey girl or read and write on them long ass rides duh. (laughs) Or you can do this, and you know it. In the years that followed, I would come out as a lesbian to my family, deepen my creative practice, and fully embody my talent as a writer and storyteller, and ultimately land a sweet, sweet teaching job to pay the bills while I wrote books. A sweet, sweet teaching job, I'm about to quit. (laughs) And that is why I'm feeling like it's 2005. Once again, I am choosing freedom, leaning into my imagination and risking what's comfortable to live the life of my dreams. Again, but more, like a sequel. (laughs) Writer Life (laughs) 2.0. Journey to the center of my heart. (laughs) This time, it's personal. So I was sitting in my office right before the pandemic shut down campuses. And I looked down the hall to my classroom where a few students had already lined up waiting for me to come open the door. I pictured myself years into the future walking down that hall, shoulders hunched wearing smart dress pants and a capable responsible looking sweater, probably like Argyle or something. (laughs) Basically looking like Dorothy from the Golden Girls she was an english teacher i think right but anyway i knew in that moment that if i stayed that would be it that hallway that classroom the workload getting heavier and heavier my writing time getting less and less what are summer breaks spent writing if i'm too exhausted from Talking about comma splices and misplaced modifiers, taking attendance, plowing through grading, taking notes at committee meetings, prepping and re-prepping and prepping and re-prepping and prepping and and re-prepping lesson plans, (laughs) uploading book adoptions, tutoring at the Learning Resource Center, uploading book adoptions, tutoring at the Learning Resource Center, prepping and re-prepping lesson plans, advising student clubs and see, y'all exhausted as hell too. Where have we heard this description of my shrinking writing life before? I spun around in my chair to face my bookshelf, where the picture of Bonita and I that I used to keep in my apartment in Chicago is now framed and sitting on the corner of the third shelf. I imagined her in the office with me, bending her six foot frame over my desk, nudging her chin forward at the computer and shaking her head at my inbox of overflowing with student emails. I tell her that I quit my corporate job to be a writer and not a professor. But I only feel like a writer in the spaces between the semesters. She smiles. She says, what are you doing at this job? And I hear it, like like I really hear it, just like she said 17 years ago at that restaurant. You know what you gotta do, she says, like it's nothing reminding me that changing your life can be as easy as ordering more hot sauce take the risk move in the direction of your joy i'm transported staring at that picture of us from new york we were standing side by side excited by what's possible even if we didn't know the details now i'm all emotional in my office and low-key freaked out because i told you like i heard her like i heard her right (laughs) or at least it feels like i did And maybe that's the same thing when someone is talking to you from the other side, a warm expanding in my heart space, my shoulders going loose, my mouth curving into a smile, like when I pray to my grandmother's, this deep feeling of knowing something or being told something in a language of love that is not bound by time or sound. I went to class and when I returned to my office, it felt smaller. It, I took me and Benita's picture off the shelf and I held it in both hands. I looked around and said, I know what I have to do. I turned off the computer, packed my bag, and I left.
1: This story was produced by Stacy Saunders and directed by Elisa Duncan. Music and sound design was by Andrew Littleton. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa Ojibwe and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walder Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamick, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is the Second, Second
0: Story Podcast.